There is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace. And today we're going to talk about a really important topic, sleep. It seems to me that sleep deprivation has become an academic. And many people that I talked to have now proclaim a bit of pride that they don't need much sleep. The rest of us, it seems, have to muddle along with six, maybe seven hours or so every night, and that's on a good night. And certainly we all know that the devices we have around us, as well as that 24-7 always available environment we live in, are not helping. Science, though, has been weighing in, and there is actually a lot to say, and it turns out that we may not be as clever as we think about our sleep. So lack of sleep is going to impact health in every way, and it's going to undermine performance. So today, I'm going to talk with somebody who's been studying exactly what is going on with our sleep. So Amanda Street's career, my guest today, spans 20 years in international marketing, sales, and HR. She was with Hewlett-Packard. And then after that, she's spent the last 15 years as an executive coach, helping sweet clients manage and optimize their careers. And recently, she, like me, has noticed that there's an increasing number of corporate clients complaining about poor sleep and not being able to recover. So she's embarked on a journey to discover how to improve both their quantity and quality of sleep, and the recovery comes with that. She's in the a book that's really a how to sleep better book with a lot of practical advice and she's also developing a corporate sleep and recovery program so that we can eliminate some of the disastrous effects of lost lack of sleep we get a preview on all of those so amanda welcome to the show thank you wanda it's good to be here i'm calling in from london at six o'clock at night here it's pitch black and um perhaps not my ideal time because I'm actually a morning person and we know we have skylarks and night owls and we'll talk a little bit about that later but I'm just very happy to be here tonight. Thank you Amanda and we do have a bit of a technology glip here so bear with us I think it will settle down. Um, Amanda I'm fascinated by this work you've done a lot of exploration so why why did you get started on sleep and how to sleep better? Sure, yeah. Well, it all started when I was looking for a book to take on holiday with me earlier this year. And I came across a um, uh, a book by a professor called uh, Matthew Walker, who's actually a Brit who's moved over to uh, California. And he wrote a book called Why We Sleep, and that's the book that accompanied me on holiday. Um, this started my fascination and curiosity and, and, and massive consumption of content. And I started Sleep on It, which is my current program and um, the working title of my book, to raise awareness and to educate on the benefits of good quality and quantity sleep and to look at some of the dangers to ourselves okay. to others. So I know you've done a lot of work about the economic impact, which is an interesting way to think about sleep. Tell us what you found. Yeah, there's been a really um, very good piece of research done by the RAND Corporation. Uh, This came out last year, and the RAND Corporation have been around for, I think, about 70 or 80 years. Uh, They started their life uh, working for the U.S. military, actually, and have since uh, branched into other areas of research. So what um, Rand had discovered when they were doing their research was that um, they took a, a cross-country, or they, or they uh, developed a cross-country comparative report, which looked at five countries and found that individuals who sleep less than six hours a night, on average, have a 13% higher mortality risk than those that sleep at least seven hours. Thir- how much did you say? Thirty? How much percentage again? One more time? Higher yeah. mortality yeah. rate? Yeah. So those individuals who sleep less than six hours a night, on average, have a thirteen percent, one three percent higher 13%. mortality risk than those that sleep at least seven hours. 
Wow, 13% higher mortality risk if you sleep less than six hours, and that's across five different countries. Oh, my goodness. That would scare everybody, I think. And I know you have more than this, so keep going. Tell us what else you found. Yeah, so this um, report was um, also corroborated by Public Health England, which is the equivalent of the Centre for Disease Control and Prevention in the United States, Uh, so much so that it's been declared that insufficient sleep is a public health epidemic now, with with more than one-third of American adults now not getting enough sleep on a regular basis. And this is having a very negative effect on our health and performance in in many different ways. Now, if I look at the economic costs of that, um, then at a, if we just put this into sheer numbers, then at a national level, a global level, this is kind of up to 3% of GDP is lost due to lack of sleep each year. And we can translate that into about $411 billion a year in the U.S., or that's that's equivalent to 1.2 million days of lost productivity. Or in the U.K., that's about $50 billion, about 200,000 days of lost productivity due to lack of sleep, also due to employees getting less than six hours um, sleep a night. Amanda, that's amazing. $411 billion in the U.S., $50 billion U.S. dollars in the U.K., and plus an astronomical number of lost days just due to people not getting enough sleep, getting less than six hours, and therefore uh, presumably being sick or not showing up or not being effective. Is that the conclusion? Yeah, so I, I think we can split it into two key areas there. So the most obvious impact of um, those lo- that loss of productivity is going to be uh, um, through absenteeism, through short sleep-related illnesses. Now, we used to think that not sleeping well was um, a secondary issue of diseases like type 2 diabetes, cancer, coronary heart disease, obesity, Alzheimer's. Yet we now know that if you deprive a normal, healthy male adult um, for sleep for four nights, then he will start to develop type 2 diabetes and show the hallmark profiles of that disease. So it's no longer that these diseases are causing um, sleepless nights. Um, The current research is proving that actually not sleeping well um, is one of the major causes of these diseases. So obviously... You know, the, the not being able to go to work from suffering from one of these diseases is a key um, factor of absenteeism. Um, we also know that short sleep is the single biggest predictor of depression now. So pretty much um, every mental health illness is now related to short sleep. So whether that be anxiety, which could lead to depression, whether it's PTSD um, or suicidal tendencies, the single biggest predictor of a mental health illness now is lack of sleep. And we also know that tragically 25% of all road traffic accidents um, now are a, a cause of fatigue and that our GPs and doctors, the most cited health complaint above all others um, at GP practices is actually uh, sleep problems. So that's the kind of the first obvious wow. uh, impact. The second impact is presentism, so physic- physically being present at work but not functioning. And lack of sleep um, results in daytime drowsiness, low energy, uh, difficulty focusing, and learning, um, impaired decision-making and judgment, and that creates a huge health and safety risk to uh, the individual and to the organization. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, Amanda, you would scare anybody into taking this far more seriously, both as an employer as well as an individual, just by listening to those statistics. So if I just Mm -hmm. go back over a couple of things that you said, Deprive a normal, healthy male of sleep for four nights and you start to develop type 2 diabetes. We know that most mental health problems like depression and anxiety and PTSD have lack of sleep as a fundamental factor affecting that disease. And then 25% of road accidents are caused by lack of sleep. Wow. 
Mm-hmm. Incredible. Okay, so, so is there an optimum amount of sleep? Yeah, it's a good, good question, uh, Wanda, actually, because a lot of there's a lot of debate around this because it is a very personal thing. But there is a, a range, and that range is considered to be between seven and nine hours. So roughly a third of our time we should be spent sleeping. Um, so that's yeah, quite a significant chunk of our lives. I think it's something like 27 years in total of our lives. So, so yeah, I mean, to aim to get eight hours sleep, and I ought to create an eight-hour sleep window opportunity is a very healthy thing to do. Now, some people say, and I've known them, you know, friends from childhood, that they don't need much sleep and that they're fine on five and six hours. And some people believe that. Is that just flat out not true? Um, I think it's changing. I think as we understand much more about sleep, then I think those views are changing. Um, you know, we know more about sleep now than we've we've ever done. We know we have more access to technology that enables us to understand what is happening when we sleep and why sleep is, is so critical to us at, at all levels. Um, and yet there are people that um, still believe that there are, um, we can get away with with um, shorter spells of sleep. And I think there's some fairly famous people in the past that have become quite high-profile short sleepers for us. Um, so the political yeah. soulmates like Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan, you know, um, both existed on a very short sleep. In fact, there was a gene named after Margaret Thatcher called the Thatcher gene, as it's sometimes known, and it, it may be an elite sleepless gene, possibly reserved for political leaders. Um, but there are a few um, famous political <laughs> leaders that have um, existed on uh, low sleep. But as we know, for both Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan, then both of those um, individuals suffered from dementia and Alzheimer's um, at, in, later on in life, sadly. And is that a general, I mean, I've heard recent reports that lack of sleep actually does lead to dementia. Is that documented or was that just some false news story? Yeah, no, it is pretty uh, well documented, actually. And the reason for that is because um, there is a toxin in our brain that needs to get cleaned out. Um, and that kind of cleaning up process actually happens when we sleep. So it's a little bit like the kind of the plaque buildup on your teeth. So if you're not kind of flossing and brushing your teeth well, then that kind of builds up and, and, and causes infection and disease. So there is a similar toxin that needs to be evacuated from our brain when we sleep. And that's the toxin that is um, associated with the onset of Alzheimer's um, but I, again, you know, if I come across people, which I do, that um, kind of don't believe they need as much sleep, then I would really say take a look at, at all the research. Whilst it's still in its infancy, uh, it's strongly pointing in much the same way as other public health topics like smoking or drink driving or wearing your seatbelt or you know, uh, eating five vegetables a day. Um, the, the, the public health campaigns that are, are out there, um, whilst we don't have one yet for sleep, I think it is something that will come in the future and we will okay. accept it in very much a similar way to um, those other um, ones I've mentioned. Um, I think we can also take a look at our overall well-being. And what we know also is that um, short sleep generally um, leads to uh, less healthy food choices. So if there's anybody wishing to lose weight, then one of the the smartest things to start with is looking at increasing sleep. And that's not necessarily a kind of connection that you would make, but um, some of the hormones that are... um, created whilst we sleep are the ones that control our appetite and so if we sleep well then we are more likely to make healthier food choices and we are more likely to be choosing kind of healthier ways to exercise as well and I think we perhaps can all individually um, associate with that you know based on what type of food we go for when we're you know when we're, we're tired or whether we feel motivated to exercise when we're tired. Okay. 
Amanda, we're going to take a break right at this moment, but I just have to highlight some of these that just strike me. So if you sleep less than six hours, you have a 13% higher mortality rate, that a third of adults Mm -hmm. are not getting enough sleep, that lack of sleep in the U.S. costs $411 billion in lost productivity, 25% of road accidents are caused from lack of sleep. If we deprive sleep, we get um, symptoms of type and the start of type 2 diabetes. It improve in uh, enhance lack of sleep, less than six hours, undermines our mental health in about every way I can imagine. And then there's the impact on decision making and judgment and health and safety and focus and ability to learn and just about everything else that we care about in corporate life as well. And whether we like to admit it or not, the research is now saying as adults, we need between seven and nine hours of sleep. And those that are notorious for thinking they can do less than that may have to take a look at um, the evidence linking lack of sleep, meaning less than six hours a night with dementia. Wow. Wow. I think that'll shock everybody into tuning in to the second half of our show, or the next part of our show, where we're going to talk about what impacts the quality of sleep. And with me today is Amanda Street. We'll be right back. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Amanda Street. Amanda has um, many years as a corporate executive at Hewlett Packard, and then the last 15 years working as and coaching executives in C-suite and helping them improve their performance. She noticed, as many of us others have noticed, 
that many people are beginning to complain about lack of sleep and the inability to recover as easily as they think they need to. So Amanda has turned her attention to looking at the science and the evidence of what makes for better sleep, as well as what do we do to improve our sleep and our recovery. So as you just heard in the last segment, there are enormous um, economic as well as health benefits for sleeping more than six hours. And that seems to be the breakoff. And the science is saying, regardless what you think, the average adult needs seven to nine hours and no exception, everybody needs seven to nine hours. So Amanda, I want to turn now and talk about what really qualifies as good sleep. So, you know, I know there's been all sorts of evidence around the different phases of sleep. Tell us what you've learned about what is, quote unquote, good sleep. Yeah, sure. Well, I think like like most things, uh, kind of awareness and understanding um, leads to better decision making and, and setting yourself up for good sleeping, in, in my opinion, is a lifestyle decision, um, much in the same way as with dental health, you know, is related to brushing and flossing your teeth. You know, we probably wouldn't think about you know, going to bed without doing both of those things. So um, I think the good sleep comes from understanding what sleep is doing and the benefits that sleep leads us to and a better appreciation of what it is and how we want to be with it. And, and certainly speaking from, from my experience, I've had a kind of love-hate relationship with sleep depending on kind of what's been happening in my life and, and what have kind of life things have been thrown at me and how I've recovered from those. But I would say that what makes for good sleep is starting with a behavior change. And I think that comes from us as individuals and to really question our, our beliefs around what we have um, heard about sleep up until this point and then how we're responding to this very new research that is very widely available to us. Um, the sleep industry is growing rapidly. I think in 1970, there were about three sleep centers in the US and there's now over 3,000 of them. Uh, The global sleep market is predicted to be about $90 billion next year. And just last month in the UK for the first time ever, where we had a sleep show and that was full of many different um, devices and programs that are all um, aimed at, you know, how do we get to this this good night's sleep and, and, and what is it that makes a good night's sleep. So I think um, to begin with, it is a good idea to kind of look at what sleep is and it is far from a passive activity or the passive activity that we might have thought it was because there's actually a lot going on and there's a lot going on in the body and specifically there's a lot going on in the brain and I'll just run through very quickly what some of these things are because I'm not a medical doctor and I'm very interested in what sleep does to us at work um, as well as to our health, obviously. But when we're sleeping and then our body is repairing our muscles, organs, and, and cells, it's strengthening our immune system. Um, it's clearing out information that we don't need, that we may have um, you know, acquired during the day. Um, it's helping us remember information that we do need, and it's helping us to make patterns and create patterns. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's getting rid of these, the toxins that we know cause Alzheimer's and it's adjusting the, our hormone levels. So we're getting less cortisol, which is the stress hormone, more growth hormones, and we're regulating the, the hunger hormones of leptin and ghrelin, which we talked about earlier about, which are the, the ones that are great if you want to manage your weight. But there are um, various triggers that also affect our sleep and some of those are also worth um, bearing in mind as well so that we know how to react or to respond to those triggers. Uh, The first of those is a significant life event and that is typically around a loss of some sort. So that could be, it could be a bereavement, it could be a divorce, it could be a loss of a job, but some kind of significant life event might be something that triggers um, not so good sleep. Uh, There could be something like what's coming up fairly soon, which is Christmas and Christmas has quite a um, reputation for also interfering our sleep. Uh, we also could be um, somebody like a caregiver or an emergency services person that is um, in a very stressful environment and that we could be quite uh, vulnerable to to stress getting in the way of us uh, sleeping well. Or we could have just had 
a not so good day, a good day when we might have you know, missed an aeroplane or missed a deadline. So there are certain things that are happening in life that are happening to us, you know, all the time that can get in, in the way of getting a good night's sleep. But there are also some um, things that we can do about these triggers and some of them are external to us and some of them are internal. So I'll cover off what impacts our sleep and then we can look at um, what we can do about those. So at an external point of view, then the environment in which we sleep in um, is has a significant impact on the quality and quantity of sleep that we get. And the environment typically is around um, how much light is in our sleeping space, uh, what the temperature is, and what kind of noise might be around us. Now, we can do quite a lot about um, regulating that, certainly if we're sleeping at home, and, and maybe later if we have time, then we'll talk about what happens when we travel in order to take some of these good practices that we can put into place every day and take them um, traveling with us as well. So certainly from an environmental point of view, then it is important to sleep in a dark space, be in a cool, dark space and to have as little sound distracting us in that space or disturbing us in that space. Our job has quite an impact on that and, and we haven't probably got time today to talk about what the impact of shift work is, um, but you know, a lot of people that we depend on in our lives, um, like nurses or policemen or emergency workers or, or doctors, um, pilots are working shift patterns and that has a very significant impact on our sleep. Uh, becoming a new parent is perhaps one of the first triggers to um, insomnia and that is uh, an event that you know, a lot of us go through and it's known now that both parents, uh, mother and father, will lose 25% of their sleep for the first two years of their, their child's life. So that is a significant amount of sleep deprivation that is caused by, you know, a very common event. Um, we also know that if we're not feeling well, if we are experiencing pain, that that will um, impact our sleep. And I don't get very popular when I mention these two things. We also know that alcohol has a very uh, negative effect on our sleep. So if we look at what makes for good sleep, then um, really reducing our al alcohol intake is um, a very wise thing to do and certainly to reduce that intake um, soon before we go to, go to bed. Coffee is another one that we should be aware of in terms of setting ourselves up for good sleep. Now, you know, coffee has a, um, a half-life, and that's about eight hours after we consume it. So it is always a good idea to um, try and stop the coffee consumption or the caffeine consumption somewhere around kind of midday, two o'clock in the afternoon, so that that is out of our system when we go to bed. Uh, the, ex the other ex more internal factors, if you like, are around what we might be anxious about, what we might be worrying about. And the two key ones there that can come up in the research that I've looked at are financial worries and work worries. Um, and that is you know, a whole area where we can look at what can we do to, to manage our anxiety around those two particular areas. And perhaps the most prevalent and the least um, disruptive from a medication point of view uh, would be an approach called cognitive behavior therapy and this is incredibly effective to, to manage any anxieties around um, whether they be financial or work or even the anxiety that's caused around not getting a good night's sleep. So there are quite a few things that do impact our sleep but there are also some things that we can do to, to mitigate um, those impacts. Excuse me. That's quite a list, Amanda, of all the things that are going to impact sleep from the environment to the job to your physical pain and alcohol and caffeine. Let's talk for a minute about the internal stuff, because this is what I hear from people more often than not. 
you know, just recently somebody is hoping to get a particular job opportunity, quite anxious about that job opportunity, and it doesn't materialize the way it was somebody expected it to. And that's now creating all sorts of anxiety, and the person's waking up in the middle of the night, and we're ruminating about it, and so on. So I think a lot of people struggle with this, whether it's financial or just attention at work or a project that isn't going well at work or an opportunity you wanted. Talk for a minute about what cognitive behavior therapy is and just briefly, how does that work? Yeah, um, it is a a way in which I think you can um, organize how you are uh, responding to some of those stresses. So um, I've been uh, experiencing this through um, what is very a uh, good program within the, in the UK. So if you were to present to your GP in the UK with insomnia, then um, the preferred route would be to take you through a um, cognitive behavior solution as opposed to uh, giving you um, sleeping tablets. So what okay. it enables you to do is to, um, to look at um, ways in which you can... Um, address the underlying things that that or, or, or set up a system that you know will will suit you well in order to overcome some of the things that might be um, getting in the way of your sleep so for example um, for me personally then I I don't have um, problems get falling off to sleep but I do have an issue sometimes of, of waking up in the night and I do um, suffer from, if you like, a, a very um, active mind. So what this um, enables you to do is to uh, create the right um, amount of time to go to sleep, and that is uh, regulated through a sleep diary and through a, um, uh, a kind of a, a, a ritual and a schedule um, to kind of create some new behavior patterns that can supersede the, the old behavior patterns. So, for example, uh, creating a very um, regular routine in terms of going to bed and getting up. So if, if we kind of look at what, what makes for good sleep, then routine is one of those things that um, have really been proved to be a very helpful thing to do. So to go to bed at roughly the same time each night and to get up at roughly the same time each morning, which is you know, okay. relatively easier to do during the week because you're perhaps getting you know, a routine wake-up time, but there is also a, um, a view that says that you should be getting up at the same time during the weekend as well. So what we want to do is that behavior change that is signaling to our brain that this is the time that I am going to go to bed, this is the time that I'm going to wake up, and then this is the, the kind of the ritual, if you like, or the, the behavior patterns that I will put into place in order to prepare myself for going to bed. And what those could be would be things like um, turning off you know, blue light emitting devices, so you know, not being on your PC or phone or tablet up to an hour before you go to bed. Some people say that might be two hours. It depends on you know sensitivity to that. Um, doing something that's much more calming for the brain that that's not um, over over stimulating. So if you can read a a calming book or do some yoga or some exercise that would just be more calming than stimulating. But to start to build in kind of new patterns of behavior, new rituals, new new routines that um, we can go to and, and rely upon that will kind of change the old patterns and to prepare our, our brain and our body for an activity that we want to do in, in, a, in a calm and consistent way. Okay. And then... That makes a lot of... That, that makes a lot of sense, Amanda. So... In effect, we're talking about changing the ritual for going to sleep as well as changing the patterns for when we wake up and using that as a way of improving the quality of sleep at night. Yeah, and there, yeah it's, it is about creating new patterns, yeah, new patterns, new rituals, new r- routines that will replace um, old associated patterns. So, um, and that, you know, that takes a little time for that to happen. Um, but it has been proven certainly in 
in the UK as the most effective treatment for um, insomnia, which is generally you know, viewed as getting less than six hours sleep a night. So, yeah, this this pattern switch, this pattern change that is based on on new behaviours, new rituals, new routines, um, has been seen to be the most effective way of um, overcoming this. Okay. All right. Well, Amanda, we're going to take a break again. So with me today is Amanda Street. And as you've heard all along, Amanda has been doing quite a deep dive and understanding what it is that makes for great sleep for us and for our own productivity and for our own health. So we've been talking about the things that impact sleep, and there is quite a long list of them, both from the environment and the external world, as well as from the internal world. And what I find most fascinating here is this notion of the cognitive behavior therapy, finding new patterns for going to sleep and for waking up that improve the entire quality of sleep throughout the night. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to talk about, so what do we do about it? We'll be right back. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Tune in to The Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Kless. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Well. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Amanda Street, and Amanda has been doing a deep dive into what makes for great sleep. The economic impact, the health impact, the long-term productivity impact, as well as um, what is it that affects our sleep in negative ways. And now, Amanda, I want to turn to the most important part, which is, so what can we do to sleep better and sleep more? Okay. (laughs) Um, Well... I think we talked a little bit um, before about the kind of rules around um, what we call kind of sleep hygiene. So I'll just kind of uh, reinforce those. So I guess, you know, strangely enough, the sleep quality starts in the moment you get out of bed in the morning. And and probably one of the most important things and something that I've I've recently learned is how important light is to the quality of the sleep we get and how important um, exposure to light is as as early as possible during the the beginning of the day. So in order to get a good night's sleep, um, I think to get as much light as we can during the day and and to be really in tune with our circadian rhythm um, is a very good way to start the day. So having those six times for going to bed and for waking up is a really good practice to do. And as I said, there is um, a view that that would be really handy to do at the weekend as well, if possible, to get some regular exercise and um, is also another good step. And that can positively impact our sleep. Um, And it also is quite handy to do that regular exercise probably up until mid-afternoon. You don't want to be getting kind of too much exercise too late at night so the uh, again the earlier the better for that one um getting that, that comfortable sleeping environment that's not too hot or cold or noisy or bright so that's an important part of of getting the right night's sleep and to avoid the caffeine the nicotine and the alcohol um, late at night as well as heavy meals and um, wow. avoiding that 
television, phone calls, eat, <laughs> and you know, the, the bedroom should be kept for, kept for sleep. So it's, it's always wise not to be eating or working whilst whilst in bed. And I would say that's that's true of when we travel as well. So all of these, what we call sleep hygiene, um, are, are good to take with you when you're travelling as well. So, and of course, the most important, which I haven't really mentioned so far, is to absolutely banish the devices from the bedroom. So this is something that I'm really, really strict about, and that is to, is the, the devices just have to go. So whatever you have that's electronic, it needs to be out of the bedroom. The bedroom is for rest and, and, and relaxation and, and not for stimulation. So recharge your phone outside of the bedroom and recharge yourself in the bedroom. Um, so that okay. is, is kind of the, the sleep hygiene Kind of 101. Um, okay. But I think more importantly, it's about, um, well, yeah, it's very important. It's, you know, if we, if we start with our awareness and education, then um, understanding uh, how to build sleep and recovery into our everyday life uh, is, is the great starting point. And I think this is also important for um, employers to now looking, look at, you know, how does sleep feature in the um, well-being programs that we might have in place today. So how can we you know, encourage right. employers to work um, to create the right culture? So at an, at an individual level, it's about you know, creating and changing behaviours. And I think at an organisational level, it's about setting the right culture and the environment to support employees to um, adapt and adopt new behaviours. Great. Um, before we talk a little bit about what employer what you're seeing that employers are doing, let's mm-hmm. talk about this concept of napping. Is napping mm. a good thing or not a good thing? <laughs> um, I think we really wonder that the jury is out from what I have um, seen on that. Um, interestingly, and we haven't talked about this yet, uh, there is a lot of um, evidence coming out of the sports world that we can completely relate to and transfer into the corporate world. And that that probably is is the case for for many things. But in terms of sleep, then um, what we can learn from the sports world is um, that there is a consistent view that sleep is the biggest performance enhancer. And that athletes are consistently, constantly looking for, I would say, legal ways to improve their performance. And without shadow of a doubt, then, then sleep is, is that. And um, famously, the British cycling team, Team Sky, um, have as lots of, of um, athlete, athletes and teams have, they have sleep coaches. And the sleep coach for the British cycling team is kind of famous for having people that, that go ahead of the teams, that they are making sure that the environment that they sleep in um, is all what I've described from the, the sleep hygiene. And they have specifically designed sleep kits and beds because they absolutely know that the marginal gain of a good night's sleep can have significant impact on their um, performance. Wow, that I did not know, Amanda, that the sports coaches were starting, or sports teams were starting to have sleep coaches. That is fabulous. Mm. And I think they now, I mean, there's not as much written about it, I don't think, as there may have been a couple of years ago, because I think they now absolutely understand that 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 is the biggest single marginal gain that they can get is to improve the sleep performance of their athletes. And there are some some great stories around basketball teams and football teams and cycling teams that, I mean, the British cycling team has never been um, as successful as it has in the last Olympics. And a lot of that has been put down to um, just how well they have been sleeping and how well rested they were during the Olympics. Makes a lot of sense to me. So then let's turn it back. If, the, if uh, we know that sleep in the sports world is a significant contributor for performance enhancement, we know the economic impact of sleep. We've covered that in lots of ways at the very beginning. We know the lack of decisions and the poor quality and poor judgment and lack of learning and lack of focus and all that comes with sleep affects work as well in really significant ways. What are you seeing employers are trying to do to enhance the quality of the sleep of their employees? Mm. Um, Yeah, and there's quite a range. And and I think um, there's some 
Well, there's a very nice book that is uh, Arianna Huffington's book called The Sleep Revolution, and there are some great examples in there of particular companies that have embraced the importance of sleep. And perhaps the most um, famous of that one is the um, Aetna um, Insurance Company, I think that's how it's pronounced, where they actually pay pay a sleep bonus. So for employees that um, sleep more than seven hours a night and they are given the choice to wear a a sleep tracker, um, for those employees that sleep more than seven hours a night for 21 consecutive nights um, can qualify for a $300 bonus. So we have um, a great example of a company that recognizes that having a well-rested and more present workforce is, and I'm quoting here from TJ Crawford, um, a well-rested and more present workforce is a win for everyone, our employees, our members, and our shareholders. And they have been um, running that program for, for some time. So that, I think, is, is just a, a great example of understanding the benefit of that. Um, I think the other companies that is getting, or the other individual, which is Jeff Bezos at the moment, is getting a, a lot of coverage about his views on sleep and you know how he believes that his role is about making some, you know, a few good decisions and he doesn't believe he can make those decisions unless he is getting uh, the right amount of sleep. So, so we know that there are some kind of high-profile leaders that are speaking very positively about sleep at the moment and if I look at some of the clients that I've talked to over here and how they go about embracing sleep um, within their well-being programs some of it can start and some of the the organizations I'm working with um, happen to be in the construction sector or in the built environment and, and they are beginning to look at this from very much from the environment point of view and are beginning to Mm -hmm. see um, smart buildings, if you like, you know, healthy buildings being built where you have um, a lot of natural daylight coming into the building at the right time. Or if we haven't got natural daylight, then they have um, circadian rhythm lighting within the office space. So that is um, kind of simulating different intensity of light depending on, on the time of day. Um, they have good hydration stations. So there's plenty of you know water available. There are good quality um, uh, restaurant facilities. Um, some of them have um, outdoor space. I mean, our, our weather isn't particularly good for this, but certainly during the summer where you can have outdoor meeting space, encourage people to, to get outside. Um, you know, 500,000 times more more light outside that can, um, can penetrate us than being behind glass. So where possible to take breaks and encourage employees to take breaks outside um, is good to get that, that light exposure. And the forward-thinking companies are, are getting ahead of, I think, their um, legislative requirements and looking more to duty of care to their employees and understanding that I think at some stage in the future there will be more legislation around this, but the employers that get this are the ones that are already putting into place um, sleep and recovery programs and some of those will have um, sleep pods uh, installed. Some of them will have what we call contemplation rooms. Um, some of them will have training for their line managers to help them recognize the signs of sleep deprivation within their, their staff. Uh, some will look at reviewing their flexi time policy, looking at the shift patterns, um, understanding what considerations need to be around travel time and recovery from travel time. And, and I think the these, you know, some of these are policies and some of them are behaviours and I think one of the ones that is a very obvious one but it might not be so easy to put in place but I think the the feeling is changing around this is about some kind of rules around email and out of hour calls and how to kind of respect people's downtime and, and away from work time particularly in this kind of 24-7 always connected always expecting a response so again I'm seeing um forward-thinking companies understanding that you know, there are different people with different um, rhythms, that there are early starters and there are late starters, um, and how do you manage your flexi time or your core working hours to reflect when those individuals are at their best performance in terms of the times of day when they are um, at their peak. So um, there's a lot that I think employers can do and there are a lot that are doing it and and, and 
very basic terms. It kind of starts with with an audit and then encourages feedback and input from employees. Start to put in you know, different programs, different patterns, some training, some awareness, um, and then people generally support each other. So you know, I'm seeing teams that understand who the night owls are and who the, the larks are, and and you know when, how, and when they can work best together. Fascinating. It's, um, I mean, if you just go back to where you started with this, the whole economic impact, and I keep coming back to this number of 411 billion US dollars every year lost in productivity because of less than six hours of sleep from people. And we add to that all the health costs and all the loss of productivity for the health problems. And, 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 after a while, you'd start to say it makes smart economic sense as an employer Mm -hmm. to pay attention to how well your employees are are sleeping. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the the list of things here is really quite impressive um, from finding more natural daylight for people during the day. And I'm struck that you said we have 500 times more light when we're outside than when we're sitting inside a building, even with glass. So all the factors that you mentioned, hydration, rest facilities, sleep pods, you know, teams talking about their natural patterns within each other, um, supporting each other for the time of day and reviewing sort of when we're expected people to be on and when they can be off again, all sound like smart moves to me for an employer. Amanda, one minute. If you can give one last piece of advice on any topic we haven't covered, what's the one thing we need to know? Mm. Um, I think it's the importance of light. Um, just don't underestimate just how critical light is to our sleep. I think I certainly remember when you know I was little and spent days at the seaside and thinking all that fresh sea air was what great gave me a great night's sleep. I actually think now it's the fact that I was exposed to so much natural daylight. So strange as it is, we do our sleeping in the dark, but actually I think it's the light that affects us more so than than I certainly imagined. Um, so even when we're we're travelling or we're getting to, you know to strange locations, I would say get as much light during the day as you can because I think that would have a significant impact on on a good night's sleep. Fabulous. Well, Amanda, thank you. Very insightful on all of this one. I certainly think one of the things that I take away is how much there is that impacts the quality of our sleep. And as you said at the beginning, it starts with how you get up, getting the light in the morning, just as you were just saying, as well as the routines we use and the practice preparation for the standard time of going to sleep and the standard time of waking up. With me today is Amanda Street, and Amanda has been coaching as an executive coach and helping C-suite executives manage their careers, optimize their performance, and she is working on a How to Sleep Better book as well as helping corporations develop sleep and recovery programs. Amanda, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. All right, and tune in next week for another episode on getting out of your comfort zone. Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week. 